Tonight's reading is from Acts chapter 16 and starting at verse 25. That's Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that... um, Sorry, there's such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered you, sorry, ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us up publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, they, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison and requested them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison... They went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Well, here's the question. Uh, this is part of our series in, as we're pursuing Acts. And it's a, it's a difficult challenge in the sense that we are trying to do a chapter at a time and yet focus on one small part of that chapter. And that's our goal this evening. What must I do to be saved? What we have in chapter 16 is a series of openings. Already we have seen in verse 9 this uh, vision, this uh, Macedonian call, come over and help us. And that produces a series of openings. Indeed, it becomes uh, from verse 9 the gateway to Europe where subsequently the the gospel comes to our country. And in verse 12, you see there uh, Lydia is um, meeting with another group of of, um, people, mainly ladies it seems, and the Lord opens her heart. And you see uh, in verse 14, 
One of those listening was a woman called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And may I just make a little comment here as a, as a tendency for us. Uh, uh, often our intentions are good when there's quite a delay between people coming to faith and people being baptized. You see there's a, this is a, a very close connection here that faith and baptism come almost immediately. And so when she and members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. And so begins the, in embryo, if you like, a church. So, the vision opens up the gateway, ultimately, for the gospel to come to Europe. In verse 12, the Lord opens our heart, and you often find this, even today, and it's, it's quite a lovely thing, that as God opens our heart, he opens our homes, and they become places of great fellowship. Um, many fruitful uh, encounters have taken place in people's home, in the informality of people talking and listening and sharing. So you see the sequence of these series of openings that come. Now, here is a, a very lovely and a very simple challenge. If you look at verse 13 on the Sabbath day when we went outside the city gate, where we expected to find a place of prayer, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, this is a sort of, if you like, a conversational um, fellowship around God's word. You could say here that God's word is being shared. Not as you are listening now and I'm speaking. There would be that, but it would have been much more conversational. What we used to call gossiping the gospel. Sharing our faith. Speaking to people. Can't help but wonder if, if part of our society, if we, if we haven't lost the art of, of conversation, much less gospel conversation, of talking about the Lord Jesus in the most natural way that we would talk about our favorite football team or our interests or anything else. Here is that it, it can't be orchestrated. It's just there. It's the overflow of love. People are sharing God's word. And the Lord opens Lydia's heart. It's a very lovely thing to see. It's very simple and yet powerful. And I put it to you. No, I don't, it's not in any way to make you feel guilty or anything like that. Have we lost this? this the, the art of conversation. To engage with people. It's a very simple challenge. Yes, we see that God sovereignly opened her heart. But how did he do it? Well, he did it by using this very simple method of speaking, sharing, talking about the Lord Jesus. I could put, just put it like this. I know it's very simple, but I do it deliberately. That, that God sovereignly opened Lydia's heart when he opened Paul and Silas's mouths. And he can do that through us these days. He can do it for us and through us. And we need to be much more open to that. God sovereignly opened her heart. You might wonder why that doesn't happen more. Well, maybe we need more of these sort of conversations without orchestrating, without becoming embarrassed in any way. 
It ought to be a a natural thing for us. And I wonder even if we should think about why this type of conversation has become so absent in some people's lives and generally within the wider church today. Well, this episode then brings us to two principles. And I just want to leave these with you tonight, two things. The first... That in every significant advancement, there is a corresponding resistance. And you'll see this in a moment. That's the first thing. Where God is doing something significant, something new in people's lives, there is often a corresponding resistance. And secondly, second area we just need to look at is this, that praise in hard times reaps a harvest of blessing. It isn't too difficult to praise God when things are okay. But in tough times, really, really tough times. And woven into that is somebody asking for the very first time, what must I do to be saved? So, The first, in every significant advancement, there is a corresponding resistance. You see, in verses 16 to 20, this is the classic sort of um, trafficking of people, using people. Whether it's sexual exploitation, or this is rather sinister, it matters not. It is there for financial gain. And what you find, the devil stirs up opposition When you see in in verse 19, for instance, when the owners of this slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now look at these three things. The first, you notice, is greed. Their financial gain had gone. And secondly, and it's often below the surface, isn't it? Prejudice. Notice what they say. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. What's that going to do with it? And then you have the third ingredient here, uh, exaggeration. Uh, In verse 20, they set the city in an uproar. Um, I had occasion to talk to somebody recently from the high street and uh, about our proposed plans. Just a little illustration. And this person said to me, yes, but this has split the village. And I said, really? Not even the high street. Sadly, most people are not interested in the church in the least. It's very easy, even among the most polite and cultured people, to use exaggerated language. Especially if you don't like what people are doing. And that's the application for us here or at Cornerstone. Oftentimes, when God is doing things, new things, good things, then you'll find that these things begin to surface. Right, let's put uh, a question here now. How would we respond in this developing situation? Okay, because you find that... uh, Paul and Silas are are flogged. You see that in verse 23. They're put into the cell, in the inner cell, and put into stocks. Now, 
Let me try to, if, if it's possible, just to um, paint this picture. Try to see now the events that have unfolded. God's been blessing and they're in trouble. They've been lied about, beaten, thrown into dungeon, locked in the stocks. Every breath painfully reminds you of cracked ribs, bruises, back bleeding, possibly legs muscle cramped, rats scurrying across the floor. Let's sing and praise God. I think not. And yet what you have precisely that in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and they had an audience, other prisoners. Now, I know it's easy to say these things in church, but nevertheless the question should be posed, how do we respond in situations where everything has gone against us and you can stare those situations in the face and say, it's not fair, and it wasn't fair. Prayer and praise are such powerful things among the people of God in difficult situations. And uh, another thing to, to try to see how you would respond to this is, yes, prayer and praise, and then in the strange providence of God, open doors and more open hearts. You see this in verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and, ev and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and he's about to fall on his sword. Utter sense of despair. Imagine the jailer's panic. And we can't appreciate this, but uh, all these inmates whom in all probability... He had dealt with cruelly. Now it's payback time. Give as good as you've received, surely. And if they didn't kill him, the Roman authorities would because he was responsible for letting the prisoners escape. Now, that's a, a, a situation of utter despair. And yet in that, as you know, God who opens the doors, opens hearts. How does he do this? Well, yes, you say he's heard Paul speak. They've heard Silas sing and um, what a great duo they were. What were they singing? Great psalms and hymns or what have you? It, there's something that we could almost um, miss here in the narrative and it's this, that by caring for the jailer's welfare, and don't forget what they had done to Paul and Silas, revealed something of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And it may well be this taste of the compassion of Jesus in a ruthless society lacking in compassion was what the jailer longed for. He may well have been as persuaded by what Paul did so much as by what he said. 
And when he trusted Christ, forgiveness washed over his soul and changed him forever. And think about it like this. What a a, a turn of events. He who inflicted the wounds now bathed the wounds of Paul and Silas. And they in turn immediately were washed in baptism. It's a moving scene of God's grace where the tables are turned. And it's a whole sequence of openings. And of course into that this great question. What must I do to be saved? So that in every significant advancement there is a corresponding resistance. Secondly, just as we pursue this, praise in hard times reaps a harvest of blessing. Now, I I think this is a word for us, because oftentimes experiences are hard and difficult, and, and we can't make sense of why things like this should happen at this particular time. Surely, The natural thing for Paul and Silas to do would be to say, well, we've really failed now. We've we've overdone it. We've we've messed up. This is a a big mistake. And what about the, the cause of the gospel? But do you ever see this, that the attitude of praise flowed over, not only through them, but two others. And it's a very powerful dimension. Now think of it like this. What a time to do this. Midnight. And what a place. Not a cathedral or a chapel, but prison. And what an audience or what a congregation. Guards and prisoners. I was reminded of this when um, I had a placement in Glasgow in Barlini Prison and uh, had to take a, a service for half an hour. And the guards would say, you have 30 minutes, not 29, not 31. And uh, part of my involvement in the social uh, work that I was doing in Glasgow, I would know some of the extended families more, were there through uh, alcohol-related crimes, some very serious. Some were there for murder and manslaughter and various other things. It was fascinating to see how, in in this prison, how people were there and they were ready to listen. They were ready to listen. I know that's 40 years ago and prison system has changed beyond all recognition. And here is Paul and Silas. I wonder if they had any idea that, number one, they've, they've, they've woken up the, the, the prisoners. It's terribly inconvenient. The guards are agitated. But the prisoners are listening. They're listening. How often would people listen to things that are outside of their normal experience? Prayer and praise is a very powerful dimension. Midnight, the prison, the guards, the prisoner. 
What a time. But what a saviour. And there was something in the very order of these events that caused this man to cry out, What must I do to be saved? He hadn't done a a Christianity Explored or an Alpha course or anything like that. You can't help but wonder why it is that more and more people are not asking that question today. And as you read carefully in verses 26 and 28, you see now that the open doors of fear, do you see that in in, in verse uh, uh, 26, suddenly uh, the, the, the doors flew open, And verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, this idea of openness again that runs throughout this uh, passage, um, he drew his sword. And it's the the option now to face his destiny. The open doors of fear become the open doors of faith. And it's the cry of Paul that was to restrain him. How often we've said this, that grace makes you gracious and that Paul and Silas should be gracious to this God in particular who's responsible if he hadn't personally inflicted their pain would have given the orders. Open door of faith, open door of fear, the contrast is there. For you. And verse 30 surely is a good question. It's a question that is so obvious in a way, isn't it? If somebody was to ask you, if you've got a college friend or somebody at work, what must I do to become a Christian? I would hope that you would have the confidence to say, You know, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And you will find that with the cumulative effect of church in our society, some of which is good and not, people will surely want to say to you, but there are things I've got to do first. And we need to cut through that and say, you you need to believe because there's nothing that you can do. Now, Paul didn't say, look, Get baptized. Though he did. Paul didn't say this man, join a church. Though he did. And Paul didn't say, give to other people and share in hospitality. Though he did. Fair enough. But first and foremost, for sure. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. It's all of grace from beginning to end. And it may well be that we've lost sight of that. We need to say that with, with, such, with such confidence. Believe. Why don't you believe? What's holding you back? Believe. Why don't you believe now? What he does, there's a, there's a play on words here, I suppose. Instead of him falling on his sword, as doubtless he would have been a, a, a mature a soldier in the Roman Empire, he now falls on the mercy of Jesus Christ. 
And instead of death, there is life. And this is surely the bedrock of all that we believe in terms of trusting in Jesus and, and having a gospel faith. That we're the first, I hope, to say that we don't deserve it, and indeed we don't. But it's all of his grace. All of his grace. Believe. Can I encourage you then to, to think if in conversation with people that you might be in this situation. Or people may have seen the hard times that you've been through. The difficult experiences that you've had. And they may ask you, well, what would you say? I have a saviour. His name is Jesus. And he can be your saviour too. And all that you need to do is to trust him. To trust him. Believe, trust in the Lord Jesus for yourself. And so you see the question and answer, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30, they replied. It's a collective thing and it may well be not so much a preach now but a, a discussion. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And some of us here have members of our families who are not believers and it may well be that we need to take the opportunity to say, well, what is really holding you back? Why don't you really trust in the Lord Jesus? Or have we, with the best intention, put hindrances and obstacles in the way of this simple childlike trust? Indeed, throughout the whole book of Acts, the constant emphasis is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Just let's have a quick look before we conclude. Turn to Acts chapter 2, where you see the first sermon that's preached under the auspices of the church. This remarkable outpouring of the Spirit. And there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Okay, the sermon is over. And of course, I know we need to uh, speak and preach in such a way that we, we make people ask certain questions. Fair enough. But when the people, verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? What must I do to be saved? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children, and so, so on and so forth. And you remember the hostility that came against these early believers in, in Acts 4 and verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And finally, just to round this off, Acts 13 and verse 38. You see, this is the, the continuing theme. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from keeping of the law of Moses and so on. It's not keeping rules or obeying conditions or being religious. Those things have their place, 
But in terms of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we need the confidence to say with certainty, you need to believe. You need to believe. Believe in him. We are planning a baptismal service. And oftentimes some of our uh, young folk here or others who have been coming for a long time say, well, I'm not sure if I'm ready. If you're a believer, you're ready. Believe and be baptized and go on trusting in Jesus and be part of this community of believers who share out of the abundance of his grace. What a time. Midnight. What a place. Prison. What an audience. Guards and prisoners. But what a Savior. What a Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be. There will be times, sure, of difficulty, Times of darkness and doubt, for sure. You look back in your life and you see there, in given times, whether it was like Lydia, the dawning of a new day, a gradual experience, or like this man, like a, like a hurricane, like a mighty thunder, either way, makes no difference. You have to believe. You have to believe. Whether you are predisposed to being cultured and religious like Lydia or irreligious, a hard soldier, you must believe. Believe. Makes no difference. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be a series of openings. Of openings of doors that for years have been closed. Maybe within your own family. An opening of lives that before have been resistant or attitudes that have been so negative and intrusive. Openings, wonderful openings of God's Spirit doing a new thing. And we need to have such conversations, live such lives that people will ask such questions. What must I do to be saved? What is it? Believe. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. And you will be.